right, so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 tonight. So, um, I don't know if you remember a few weeks back, Tony, I think during the Father's Day teaching, had a verse that jumped out about really fighting for our families. And so, uh, when he said that, it just kind of resonated. The Lord spoke to my heart, and I just wanted to share, I guess, what the Lord's, I guess, put on my heart, and hopefully it encourages us all this evening. So, um, so just to give you a little background on Nehemiah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty popular book in the Bible. Um, so just to give you a little background on Nehemiah, he was, uh, he was on the scene about 445 BC, and he was a cupbearer for a king in Persia, and I can't pronounce his name, so I'm just going to call him King Artie. Um, so he was a, a cupbearer, and in those days, uh, cupbearers probably don't sound like a very important role. But back then, of course, um, that was the, the role he was before the king, before his meals. And he was really the one that selected the wine and, and the food and so forth. So it was a, actually a pretty uh, high-level position, a real trusted position, because the cupbearer was really protecting the king from assassination through poisoning. So it was a pretty important role, as you can imagine. And so when you read the story of Nehemiah, you kind of think, ah, oh, just kind of a cupbearer. That's not really that important of a role. But he had a really important job. And he was probably really well taken care of, living in the king's palace, enjoying the king's food, the king's, all, the, all the things the king had to offer. And so in 445, he, he learns from uh, some, uh, some guys coming back from Judah about Jerusalem. So prior to 445, Jerusalem was ransacked, and the, the Israelites, the Jews, were scattered. They were exiled, and they were scattered to, through the region. And, of course, Nehemiah landed up in Persia and worked for the king as a cupbearer. But some of his countrymen came back and said, what's, what's happening? And he, or he asked them, what's happening? And they said, it's ransacked. The gates are burned down. The city walls are torn down. The city lies in ruin. And so Nehemiah's reaction is just he weeps. And so he just weeps for his, the city, the, the holy city of God, which, um, you know, he's probably no, no doubt heard through his childhood upbringing. Um, he weeps for the city, but I believe more importantly, he weeps for his brothers and sisters who were left behind. There's just a remnant of, of Jews left in that city. And so what we're going to learn about tonight is really what does he do with that, that burden. Um, so in, in verse uh, 4, we're just going to read verse 4, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive in here. So it says in verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, I'm sorry. It says, but so it happens when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, the stones that are burned? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes upon it, he will break it down, down their stone wall. It says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites 
And the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And nevertheless, we made it our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adverse adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come in, in their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who had dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from wherever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, at the openings, and I set people according to their families, with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So we, we kind of come upon the scene now where um, the, the king has favor on Nehemiah. So in chapter 1 and 2, Nehemiah has this burden to go back and build the walls back up, restore the city and to help his countrymen back in in Jerusalem rebuild. And so back then, obviously, if you were a city that didn't have walls or gates, you were vulnerable to attack. And so you'd have bands of marauders coming through, and as a dad with wife and kids, I'd be scared to death living in Jerusalem just as as a remnant people without any protection. So anybody could just come in and destroy your family, take your wife and kids along as slaves, plunder whatever you had, and then the next, and just wait for the next night to come, and the next night. So, so this was a really sad scene for God's holy city of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah gets favor from the king. He actually gets a, a cavalry going with him. He gets favor to get timber to rebuild the, the walls and so forth. Um, and now he's on the scene with the builders, and so we just want to dive in and talk talk a little bit about what he experienced here. Um, so I guess to start off, I mean, God gave him a bold vision. And so um, before he asked the king, he said he was terrified. Uh, he just, in those days, if you were sad before the king, he could, he could just basically execute you just because you were never, no one was ever allowed to be um, sad in front of the king because he felt like he was so important, so filled with joy that people must never show sadness in, in their in his presence so so he he basically had the boldness to ask the king through prayer and fasting for favor and, and the king miraculously granted him that favor and actually supplied him um, both protection and provision but on the way the enemies of israel started to get word of this and they started to get angry and um, they start to conspire now against um, nehemiah and so I guess the thing that, that you know, jumps out at me, at least in this story, is, is really two, two emotions that I think as believers that we struggle with every day. Two huge emotions. One is fear, and the other one's doubt. And I think, you know, when you look at fear and doubt, Satan uses them as, I, I call them kind of the ugly twins, that really holds us all back, right, from accomplishing what God's given us to do. So, so God has given Nehemiah this bold vision to go back and, and, and really save it and help his countrymen rebuild the holy city of Jerusalem. And he gives them a bold charge, one charge that, you know, when you think about it, would be almost a suicide mission for the average cupbearer. But God gives him strength and favor. And, and so, you know, I guess tonight, just 
even just asking myself, like, what am I most afraid of? What's God putting on my heart that, that makes him weep? As, as Nehemiah weeped over the city, over his brothers and sisters who were being attacked, you know, does God really speak to our hearts and give us, you know, that same charge of what does he want us to do? Does he want us to just to cower and, and just kind of sit back and continue to, to give the king wine? Or is he calling us to something a lot bolder and, and something for his glory? And, and so this just kind of inspired me tonight when, when you look at his, he attacked, or his fear that was holding maybe a lot of people back. He went right, kind of right into the, the face of fear. He not only experienced fear from the king that if he asked him to, for, um, to go back to Jerusalem, he could have gotten killed by the king, but he also had enemies. And if you read on in the story, it's not just outside enemies. He had people, his own countrymen, that he came to help that were actually starting to turn on him. And then you'll notice if you keep reading in Nehemiah, he, get, he has the younger generation that actually starts to disobey and turn. So Nehemiah did not have an easy path at all. Nehemiah had a very, very difficult path. And so when you, when you look at, at verse 4, a couple things um, jump out. So first of all, um, when you look at the scoffers, right, the enemies um, of Israel, um, a couple things they asked him, a couple questions in verse 2. They said, um, are they, he said, and he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? So number one, he's calling them feeble Jews, obviously not knowing that they're, they're sons and daughters of the living God. So he's mocking kind of their standing, they're feeble. They're also mocking, will they fortify themselves, right? That means kind of, will they get food? Will they get, will they get um, weapons? Those kinds of things, questioning the provision of God. Will they offer sacrifices? So, again, mocking, will they actually be um, faithful to God in the sacrifices and restoration of, their, of their, their practices? Will they complete it in a day? They're mocking how long it could take them. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, uh, the stones that are burned? Um, so when you kind of look at all these different accusations, it's just one after another after another. And so I think that those accusations are starting to get to Nehemiah in terms of, Okay, there's just all these things to, to overcome. And so if you'll notice Nehemiah's response in a prayer, um, it's in verse 4. Um, he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. And so if we stop there for a second, sometimes I think we as believers are now becoming more despised in the world, right? I mean, there's our brothers and sisters around the globe have been persecuted for you know, thousands of years, but here in America now we're starting to get despised. We may be maligned, we may be held by, back, we may be, um, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of things that we, we could be experienced, whether it's on the job, at school, with our friends, our family, whatever could may be happening. We, we again, if we bear the name of Christ, it, he, the Bible does say we're going to be maligned, we're going to be despised. So it says, turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so when you look at Nehemiah's prayer, it's one that is kind of interesting because, again, Nehemiah had this loving, trusting relationship with God as his father, as, who's going to protect him, give him courage to overcome this huge task that's before him. But um, he does um, have a couple components to his prayer, right? Um, number one, he asks God to hear what's going on. 
And I think that's an honest prayer. You know, sometimes I think of when we're going through trials, it's an honest prayer to say, God, do you see what's going on? Can you please, you know, that, that's just, I think it's a good, honest prayer to just ask God to take a look at what's happening and, and pour our heart out before him. Um, number two, he asked God to intervene and allow those evil threats coming from the enemy to be turned back, right? So if you're familiar with Proverbs 26 and 27, it says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, but he who, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. And so again, he's praying for God's um, provision and revenge. You know, the Bible says, you know, that it's up to God for revenge. It's not up to us to take revenge. Um, and so Nehemiah safely trusts God with justice, right? God is a God of justice and mercy. And so he puts it back in God's hands and says, God, you have these laws and you have these, um, these proverbs, again, um, about those who are conspiring, you know, they'll be conspired against. And then number three, the, the, the great thing about Nehemiah is he doesn't give up. And one of the things I think about being a believer and a Christian is just the word victory. Because it just seems like the, the Christians that I, I love and admire are just, they just keep going and going and going. They just don't stop trusting the Lord and honoring Christ and, and don't give up the fight. Um, so when you look at him, Nehemiah, they just kept building. And I just think that's a great verse, it says. Because, because in verse 6, it says, We built the wall, and the entire wall was joined up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And so I think with Nehemiah, the cool thing about him is there's a lot of talkers in the world, right? There's a lot of people that will just complain and complain. And I, get, I fall into that trap. My wife will tell you if I watch the news too long, I get, you know, I get really cranky and I start complaining and... Um, but then, you know, I guess I get convicted. I'm like, okay, the Lord could speak to me. All right, Brett, what are you, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Are you just going to complain the rest of your life and get angry and bitter and isolate yourself? Or are you going to do something about it? And so I think the, the great verse here, it says um, that they started to work, right? It says, for the people had a mind to work. And so for us, I guess the challenge is, you know, again, what is God calling us to do for his kingdom, for his glory? Um, we could sit and complain, and we could we could complain about how unfair life is and become a victim, or we can really obey him and then really have that mind to work and actually do something about it. And so that's, I think that's a pretty inspiring verse coming from Nehemiah. And then it says in verse 7, it says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashtonites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to close. They became very angry. So... Now they're starting to see progress. Their enemies are, are, are seeing progress. And you know that the enemy hates seeing progress, right? So anytime uh, if we're worshiping the Lord, serving him in some way, and there's progress, the enemy hates progress. And so you're going to get, you know, a lot of, um, it says very angry. People get extremely ang angry when there's progress. And then they start to stand in the way, of course. So when the when the, the the progress is being made, they conspire, they plan an attack, and they start. It says here they start creating confusion, right? And so anytime there's confusion involved, I think it's just as a general rule. Anytime things don't make sense as believers, um, it may not be of God, right? So because God is a God of order, a God of peace, a God of comfort, a God of love, a God of, of, of fellowship. Um, and so whenever there's a bunch of confusion and things don't really don't make sense. Um, that's just a, like a little bit of red flag 
you know, to really take inventory and find out, okay, is this really of God? Because it just doesn't really seem like he's a God of confusion, right? Um, when you look at the Bible and read it, it's really God's a God of order and, and again, a very peaceable spirit, right? So that's the, the fruit of the spirit is kind of having that peace, love, and joy. And, and believers being unified in the Holy Spirit. So, of course, the, the enemy wants to create confusion, get everybody off, the, off track. And, um, and so Nehemiah doesn't take the bait. He continues on. And, um, and, the, and the one thing is, is great here. It says, you know, they all try to conspire, create confusion. But in verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, we made it our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against them both day and night. So they didn't just kind of, they believe God, they knew God was going to protect them and, and save them and defend them, but they also had common sense of defense, right? So they, they heard a, a legitimate threat, they, they heard it, and they took heed. And then Nehemiah kind of springs into action and starts to set a watch, both day and both night. Um, the challenge, though, is as the workers were working, Verse 10, it says, Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish, rubbish, not rubbish, rubbish, that we are not able to build the wall. And so there's two things now that start to wear out the laborers. One, death threats, which probably would be scary for most workers. And secondly, rubbish, right? So there again, when you think about, you know, what what's kind of the... We get threats all the time, right? We get Again, it goes back to fear. When we get fearful, we start to lose our momentum. We start to take our eye off our work and start to worry about fear. The fear starts to consume us. The other thing that gets in our way is rubbish, right? There's a lot of rubbish that could be in the way of what we're doing. Um, and so because Nehemiah is concerned that they're going to lose heart, um, they just kind of when the laborers are starting to kind of lose some heart and they're they're failing a bit verse 11 you know it just seems like the adversaries just keep piling on the threats they don't seem to stop it says they neither they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to cease and so again the threats continued and and the threats continued in verse 12 it says so it was when the jews who dwelt near them came and that they told us ten times, for whatever, whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So you figure these death threats continue. They keep amping up the volume, amping up the volume until after ten times they're hearing this over and over and over again to the point where the workers are probably getting so frazzled that, you know, it's getting difficult for them to complete their work. And so then Nehemiah again springs into action in verse 13. And he says... You know, he said, okay, let's start to get everybody positioned in the right positions, right? We want to make sure that the men, it says, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and set people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And so this is kind of interesting because, um, you know, I think in terms of comfort, there's comfort in numbers, right? There's comfort in people unifying behind a cause and a vision. And um, so I think if, if God give, calls us to a vision, even though there could be fear, challenges, it's such a blessing to be part, have brothers and sisters in Christ that you're working with, right? It's, it's great when God, the way he designs the church, right? 
um, we talked about this earlier with Mary Jo, just the church coming around Mary Jo to help and comfort her and through her most difficult time right now. Um, so it's just how God kind of puts people in their own positions. He has a role for each and everybody in this room. Um, and he knows exactly what your talents are, what gifts he's given you, and, and he knows exactly where to put you. And so to me, it's kind of, it's really interesting how Nehemiah had that insight on where to put everybody and how to position them, position them on even the detail of where they should go on the wall and according to their families, it says. And so the, um, the I guess in terms of the kind of the exhortation that, that Tony, I know in scripture a couple weeks ago, had shared with us, um, he knew that there was a lot of fear. And so it, Nehemiah kind of stands up in the midst of this fear. It's probably one of the worst times they had, I, I would imagine, building the wall. And he said he looked up, this is verse 14, and arose and the nobles, or to the nobles, to the leaders, and the rest of the people. And he said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight. For your brothers, brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And so that's kind of a, that, that's a, um, you know, when you really think about it, it's a pretty simple speech that Nehemiah gave. Um, but this has lasted, um, you know, in terms of like 2,500 years, we're here tonight reading this, what he, what he said to those, to the leaders, the nobles, and everyone there. Number one, don't be afraid. Right, so it kind of goes back to the one question, you know, what are what are you most afraid of? Is it really kind of holding you back? And um, you know, we we know that God loves us. We know that He's not a God of fear, right? In Timothy, it says, "I have not given you a, a spirit of uh, of." Someone help me out here. I'm going by memory. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. Great. <laughs> Thank you. He saved me. Um, so God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, right? But he gives us a, power, a spirit of power and a love and a sound mind. Um, and so that's, you know, backs up what Nehemiah is really sharing with everybody in that in Jerusalem there. And so when he talks about it, though, the, I guess the real moving thing for me is, you know, fighting for our brethren, right? So I think in this verse, okay, who are our brothers, right? Um, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, the church, Um you know, do, are we really fighting for each other? You know, there's there's probably, there's just so much to do in terms of the glory of God and what he's called us to do. I think Satan sometimes likes to get us fighting amongst each other instead of, of advancing the kingdom of God. And so I think for Nehemiah, his challenge tonight is, okay, we ha- we're brothers and sisters. Let's let's advance the kingdom of God. Let's, let's live for his glory. And so I thought that was a great exhortation that Nehemiah shared. Um, he talks about fighting for your sons. And so, again, you know, when we look at um, our families and just fighting for our sons and just being a, a role model and just praying over them and just hopefully just walking with them and sharing Christ with them, and um, and just that's the heart of a father, right? That's, that's our Heavenly Father's heart, that no one perish, and every son and every daughter walks with him. And so for us, you know, just setting that example and just praying, and just as a parent, you know, no greater joy than your, your sons and daughters walking with, with Jesus. There's no greater joy. Um, so just, you know, looking at that and saying, okay, the sons and your daughters, um, again, with, with daughters, just the protection and, and the, the example and uh, just praying over them that they would meet godly um, young men as well and, 
raise up a family. And so there's there's so many exhortations in this, but I just wanted to share with you real quick um, out of Peter. You don't have to turn here, but I just wanted to to share a little bit about with the younger people, the sons and daughters in the room here. Um, and so in Peter uh, 5, 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit to your, yourselves to, to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So, again, for the young people, God's a God of love. He cares for each and every one of you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And he wants to be there as a God to deliver you from these things. And, and so, in terms of the, the wives. Sorry. My wife is in the crowd here. She gave me those puppy dog eyes and I melt. So, husbands, this is for us. <laughs> so how do we fight for our wives? Sorry. Paul says he commands us to love our wives as Christ loved the, loves the church and gave, some, gave himself for her. So when you look at Isaiah 53, you don't have to turn, but when you look at the example of what Christ did for us, It says Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted for he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and his by his stripes we are healed and we all like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth he was led as a, a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. <clears throat> and who will declare this gen his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And so that, to me, is an exhortation to fight for our wives. 
<clears throat> so I guess in terms of concluding here with Nehemiah, you know, it goes back to a couple things. One, uh, you know, I guess if God's calling you to do something, you know, what's he calling you to do? Is it something for his glory? And if so, there's going to be fear. There's going to be doubt in your in your hearts. It's, there is in mine. There was in Nehemiah's. But, you know, he's faithful and just to give us what we need to accomplish these things. And so, you know, what, what are we going to choose to do from this point forward? Um, when you look at Nehemiah's ancestors, his, his father's grandfather's great-grand-great-great-grandfather, oh, excuse me, you know what I mean, way back, um, <laughs> generations before him, I should say, they really didn't stand up for the Lord. They just kind of let the culture carry them to a foreign land, right? And we can let things carry us to places we never expected we'd be. And so, you know, Nehemiah probably wouldn't really be in that mess of trying to do all this work if his father, his, the generation before him honestly served the Lord. So to me, it's kind of a good exhortation that we find ourselves in this situation with our culture and all the things that are going on around us. And do we have the, you know, the faith and the courage to do what God's calling us to do? And, you know, what are we really going to choose to do as of this day? So my prayer is that we... Again, heed God's call that he gives us everything we, we, we need to, to, to do his will, to, to love each other, and to, to serve him faithfully. So, so let's pray.